the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. All right. Yes, he is here, and a good evening to you. Welcome. Six minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on your basic Wednesday edition of Lifeline. And uh, whatever you might be up to on this Wednesday, heading home, maybe going to prepare a little bit of a meal, listening on your smartphone, doing some grocery shopping, whatever. Thanks so much for uh, taking us along here, and we're glad to keep you company here through the course of the next couple of hours. Uh, Let's see, what's on the agenda for tonight? Um, Let's talk a bit about the debate coming up. We're going to be carrying it live, and, well, that's not actually true. We're going to be carrying it delayed, but in its entirety on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer, that'll be coming your way tonight at 7 p.m. So if the 6 o'clock hour with dinner and commuting may not be convenient for you, we've got Plan B, and we're going to invite you to uh, tune in and join us for that. Again, the delayed broadcast without any commercial interruptions running tonight at 7 p.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. This is a critical debate. And, um, you know, when you think about the the broader sense of how the vice presidential debates go, uh, they are usually, for the most part, ignored. In the grander scheme of things, many people believe they really don't make that much of a difference. Well, (laughs) this is a case where the usual, we're way past that now, Um, particularly so when we think about the enormity of the stakes at play here. We have a 74-year-old incumbent who is in the last week been diagnosed with COVID-19. We have a 77-year-old Democratic challenger. Whether or not either of these two gentlemen uh, could see it through the entirety of the next four years, hard to say. The real key, of course, is where do we stand? Where does it go? And uh, let's get some insights now. We're joined by Joyce Cordy. Joyce, of course, a familiar voice here in the San Francisco Bay Area. She is the founder and president of Reimagine America. Lots of great information available, including her podcast at reimagineamerica.org. And uh, Joyce is one of the unusual individuals who's out there with more than 30 years experience in the business world at the high level of corporate America where um, she offers insights and analysis that's not just based on the government dysfunction that we all see and experience, but most critically ways in which we can change all of that. And Joyce, great to have you on the program. It's my pleasure, Craig. 
Well, as I indicate, this is going to be kind of the VP debate, no doubt, of the century. And I was thinking back, um, if, uh, if in fact, Joe Biden were to get elected, and I know that that brings wailing and gnashing of teeth to some listeners and delight to others, but if he were to become elected, he will be only the second vice president, aside from George Bush in recent memory, to ascend to the presidency, at least not since Gerald Ford, although in Gerald Ford's case, he got there only because of Richard Nixon's resignation. You really have to go back to Nixon himself, and that after a full eight-year gap following uh, both the Kennedy and Johnson administration. So there, there are some unusual things that are lining up here. And in particular, many feel as if the major game changer, if everything on the table, the economy, uh, immigration, health care, the Supreme Court, weren't enough. But now add to it the diagnosis of President Trump having COVID-19. How critical do you think that's going to play a role in the debate and the discussion tonight? I think it will play a major role. Um, you know, the moderator um, is a very moderate woman. Um, and, um, you know, we, we need to be uh, cognizant of both um, the actuarial statistics um, and and the fact that the president actually has COVID and his um, medical team is being pretty cagey. Um, that was quite a sight today of the poor Marines standing outside the Oval Office while the president held a meeting where everybody else was in full PPE as though you were in an emergency in an ICU in a hospital. So, um, you know, I think I think. We, we need to be very carefully listening tonight to um, exactly what these two people say, because it's a, it's a 50-50 shot, at least, that one of them could be president in less than four years. Uh, you know, uh, it's, and, and, and don't forget that Joe Biden has had his own health issues in the 1980s. Now, he took a different approach to those to those uh, health issues uh, by working hard on on you know getting regular exercise and you know main working on his health, uh, which President Trump has not done. You also have to remember that slipped in by Dr. Uh, Conley uh, the uh, on Saturday, I think, was that the president has an elevated PSA. So it's not just COVID we need to worry about, um, but the potential that his elevated PSA could, over the next several years, develop into prostate cancer. So this is a really, really significant debate. Yeah, it, 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 it becomes a, a critical game changer in, in many regards. And it's interesting because I was in preparation for our visit today, thinking back on the last vice presidential debate in 2016 uh, between Mike Pence and does anybody in the room remember Tim Kaine, <laughs> who, who kind of had a, a momentary rising star that didn't last very long? And ironically, Joyce, only traditionally half as many people that watch any of the presidential debates tune in for the vice presidential debate. 
But this is a significant game changer, not just because of the health issues that are involved, but the other issue here, and I want to get into this a bit more in depth after a quick timeout. We'll update listeners on traffic and, and we'll dive into that. But I want to come back to the, the topic at hand in relationship to what's so pivotal about this particular debate in the wake of the lost momentum that the president now needs to quickly make up for, not just because of the COVID-19 diagnosis, but the debates of two weeks ago. And so there's a lot at stake here. We're talking about all the factors. What may be part of the debate and the conversation tonight? We'll get to that, too. Joyce Cordy is with us. She is the founder and president of Reimagine America. Information available on the web at reimagineamerica.org. We'll take a time out, get you updated on traffic. Back with more as Lifeline continues. Right now, though, here's a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, now that we've recoordinated our clocks to a T-minus debate time of uh, just about 44 minutes to go, and again, uh, we'll be providing the debate complete and uninterrupted on our sister station. So if the 6 o'clock hour when it's live is not convenient for you, set tight and catch it on 860 AM, The Answer complete and without commercial interruption at 7 p.m. tonight. We are talking about the debates, and with us today is Joyce Cordy, the founder and president of Reimagine America, information available on the web at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. And as we alluded to, Joyce, just before the break, this is going to be no doubt not only a very hotly contested debate, Um, watched by a significant number of people, but also an opportunity, hopefully, to get into some of the serious issues. We know that very little issues were really discussed with with any depth two weeks ago, and depending upon the president's health, that may be adjusted come the next round, which is in barely a week and a half, about 10 days out from now. But when it comes to a substantive Debate. You're talking about two individuals that have a lot of public communication experience. Of course, um, uh, Kamala Harris, who's been a California attorney general, senator after Barbara Boxer retired, also San Francisco DA. And uh, Mike Pence, in addition to his experience both at the gubernatorial level, vice presidential level, he was also a syndicated talk show host for a while. So both of these people have effective communication skills. And so toward that end, I I would suspect that the the moderator, um, it, it, Susan Page, is really going to focus on getting down to substantive issues. What do you think are going to be some of the real hot-button topics tonight? Well, you know, I think Susan Page is going to drill into the COVID uh, task force versus the president's public pronouncements. I mean, um, Vice President Pence has gotten pretty good marks from many of the many Democratic governors uh, for his actual handling of task force meetings and so forth, um, and the ability to get FEMA, you know, I mean, Gavin Newsom has been effusive about FEMA's help um, in this effort, but he is stuck with his audience of one, um, and, and he's caught between his private, efficient governing uh, of the task force and the public um, 
pronouncing the pronouncements and the not wearing a mask and so forth in or when he plays to his um, to his boss um, and how he is going to maneuver that very narrow path he has will be interesting um, you know he can't he can't really deviate from the president's view um, of oh you know the mask etc and and still be honest about yes we knew this was a deadly pandemic in the end of January so, so help me um, think through this because and, and, you've, but, you've added a layer of complexity um, in in the wake of the revelations of the recordings that have come out from Bob mm-hmm. Woodward uh, uh-huh. That juxtaposed against the public pronouncements, what's been on the record as official policy insofar as the CDC guidelines, and now we have the the unfortunate incident of the president coming down with COVID-19. Here, Mike Pence, as you correctly point out, is the COVID-19 um, uh, task force chair. Now he's got to be able to deal with the, the the very real medical realities of what the president is having to deal with. The 210, probably going to be at a quarter of a million dead Americans before Christmas arrives, that very re- real reality. And I have got to believe that, uh, that Harris is going to pound on those issues real difficult. So how does... Mike Pence navigate those waters in a in a very uh, stealth and 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 um, forthright fashion to deal with the challenges and the realities of what America is facing, juxtaposed against the the president who will also be listening tonight and 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 clearly will be sensitive to anything that is said that seems to suggest that there were significant mistakes made that led to his COVID-19 diagnosis. How does Pence navigate that given the fact that I'm sure that's going to be a major punching point so to speak by Harris? Well, I think the the fact that they're going to have two plexiglass uh um partition between them is going to speak loudly before Susie Page even says hello. Um, but if I were Pence, I would be honest. If I were Pence at this point, um, you know, I, I would take Chris Ray's uh, uh, route and be honest with the American people and say, you know, um, that's my job is to be honest with the American people, and, you know, I'll take whatever comes with that from President Trump. I mean, I think that's his, if he wants to have a political future. Now, that's the other thing we didn't talk about. Both of these people have their own presidential ambitions, even in in 2024. Um, So what they say tonight is their introduction as a presidential candidate. And so I don't envy Mike Pence the position he is in. Um, I, it, you, you have to give the advantage there to um, to Kamala Harris because she can do two things. One, she is an effective prosecutor. Um, and secondly, she has righteous indignation on her on her side. Um, and so I think it's very difficult for him. That that's going to be very difficult. He's going to have to parry and thrust and and um, uh, fall back on 
um, what the task force succeeded at doing while trying to avoid the bigger issues. And this kind of comes back full circle. I made reference in the previous segment to, to Richard Nixon, and he once, and I'm sure you're familiar with this quote, Joyce, he once famously or infamously said, in order to win the primary, run hard to the right. In order to win the general, you have to run back towards the center. So I guess part of the challenge here tonight, because of these recent developments, particularly in relationship to not just COVID, but the Supreme Court, and we'll talk about that in a moment, is, is, is the challenge here where the vice president could come out and focus like a laser on some of the positions that Harris has taken. There are some ways in which, my goodness, I remember when she was uh, the, uh, the district attorney in San Francisco, and there were some positions that she took that made her even uh, further left than even Terrence Hallinan, if such a thing is, is at all possible. But there she stood. And there is a track record of positions that she has taken, votes that she has made as a senator, positions as attorney general, or as former San Francisco DA, that he could focus in on and take advantage of. The problem is that many of those issues will most ideally resonate with more conservatives. But in terms of the general issues, listen, whether you're Republican or Democrat, young or old, this COVID thing, as people look at the severity of the numbers and grapple with the reality that now even the president has been diagnosed with it, and upwards of 14 people or more within his immediate uh, sphere of, of, of advisors, um, it, it's going to be difficult, I think, for him to be able to laser focus on the shortcomings of Harris while at the same token trying to strike a chord of harmony that will resonate in the center, wouldn't you think? Oh, I think so. I think, I think Harris has a much easier job. By the way, the number this afternoon was up to 18. Wow. I hadn't heard that. Wow. Yeah, and that does not include the uh, four members of the Joint Chiefs. Um, And to be very honest, um, I am extremely worried about uh, the prognosis for Chris Christie, who has four comorbidities. You know, he has, he's, he's overweight, he's over 50, he's a man, he has asthma and type 2 diabetes. I'm, I'm very concerned for his well-being. Um, and and the, the White House is a COVID hotspot. I mean, there are pictures of them disinfecting the uh, press room in, you know, the Brady press uh, briefing room. In, in full, uh, you know, white uh, internal oxygen system uh, hazmat. Um, you know, I, I think I think Kamala Harris, for you know, all the things that you might not agree with her about from a policy point of view, has uh, an easier route by one honing in on the COVID inconsistencies. You know, which which Pence can't defend except to say, well, the boss told me to do that, um, which is not an effective answer given the boss's performance in the last debate. And and Um, undoubtedly, in many respects, you know, um, in favor or against, um, this is quickly become in the last week 
a significant game changer. I mean, listen, any of us could have sat down and said, look, as these two meet up, uh, even even post-first presidential debate between Biden and the president of a little over a week ago, we could have agreed that, well, the, the economy is going to be on the table, the ongoing issue of racial inequality, health care, immigration, most certainly the future of the Supreme Court. All of those are going to be pivotal topics for discussion. Certainly COVID, COVID recovery will be part of that too. But now suddenly um, there's almost the potentiality of COVID overshadowing the totality of this discussion tonight just because of the events that have transpired here in the last uh, less than a week. Well, would would it give you? Does it give you any confidence when the White House has now been a, been established to be a hot zone? And when we look at the events that were held there on the twenty sixth and twenty seventh, and we can't get a straight answer about when the president last tested negative, um, we have a hot spot. We we could have hundreds of cases emanating from those two. Uh, particular social events and and campaign events. But if you then look at what Harris's job tonight is, it's to point out those inconsistencies, to ask the fundamental question, if they couldn't keep it out of the White House, how do they protect you and your family? Okay, that's going to be Kamala Harris for the people. And when you start to, to t- attack her record, she's going to say, I'm not running to be president. I'm Joe Biden. I'm running to be Joe Biden's helpmate. He sets the policy. That's what Pence said four years ago, and she's going to throw it right back in his face. So she'll use that as kind of a, a convenient escape uh, hatch or escape clause, <laughs> as, as yeah, the case may not. be, if, if, the, if the policy-related debate gets to be a little bit too much. And you think then she's just going to try to, in every way possible, turn things back over uh, to the topic of COVID, which, as you kind of alluded to indirectly, will be difficult to avoid given the fact that the the stage setup tonight will be very different from even what we saw of a little over a week ago. They will not only be further apart, but out of an abundance of caution, there will be plexiglass separating them. And every time and the camera captures that and there's a glimpse of, of reflection on the lens of the camera, that's going to serve as a stark reminder. Yeah, as though you need a reminder. The White House is now, he is the task force chairperson. And you have, um, and, and, he's, and the White House is now a hotspot. The four of the five joint chiefs are quarantined for COVID exposure. I mean, I, I don't think it can get much tougher for them. Well, and, and to I be really sure, don't. aside from all of the political implications here, one of, one of the things that we need to, as Americans, take very seriously, and that is the national security implications of all of this, because you've got to know if we as Americans are looking at this wondering what's going on, then what possibly is going through the mind of some of our enemies right now? Not to suggest that anybody's going to do anything crazy, but, you know, you've got some characters on the world stage. Just today I read that potentially, and this may be nothing but uh, propaganda, but potentially Kim Jong-un supposedly working on a, a mammoth nuclear weapon. Again, most of that is is more for the, 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 the fright effect than anything else. But nevertheless, uh, it go- gives us, I think, cause for pause 
and to contemplate and to have some some legitimate reason for concern. Joyce Cordy with us in this segment of Lifeline. We are talking about the vice presidential debate that will be getting underway live here in about 28 minutes. We will be carrying that debate commercial-free, uninterrupted, for your benefit, slightly delayed. If the 6 o'clock hour not convenient to you, a lot of people on the road or uh, preparing meal with the family, 7 o'clock you can sit down and listen to the debate in its entirety along with analysis by our friend and colleague Hugh Hewitt. All of that will be taking place on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. Again, that'll be tonight at 7 o'clock. Right now, we're going to take a brief time out. We'll get you updated on some traffic. Come back to more of our conversation with Joyce Cordy as Lifeline continues. Right now, though, here at 532, a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation, 537 on the clock. Joyce Corey is with us, and on this uh, vice presidential debate night, we are talking about just that. Again, uh, that debate will get underway live in just about 22 minutes. I'll remind you that if the um, live coverage at 6 o'clock doesn't work for your schedule, a lot of people think that's yeah, kind of an odd time, but we're, you know, they tried to kind of find one that seems to work uh, for folks nationally, given the time difference on the East Coast. We came up with a solution. We're going to carry it uninterrupted, commercial-free, but one hour delayed so you can catch the entire debate tonight at 7 o'clock on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. With us is the founder and president of reimagineamerica.org, Joyce Cordy. We're talking a bit about the pivotal importance of tonight's debate. And I'm curious, we touched on her name briefly. Um, Certainly, given the fact that both of these people are professional communicators I would suspect that they're not going to be as challenging in terms of (laughs) serving as more of a referee than a moderator. But what can we expect, in your opinion, Joyce, in terms of the difference between how Chris Wallace handled the debate of 10 days ago versus what we can anticipate from Susan Page, who, of course, is a writer with USA Today? Well, she's a senior editor at USA Today. She is... um uh, you know, she's a mother and a grandmother, you know, to, to quote, uh, you know, I mean, she knows how to handle unruly children. Um, <laughs> uh, although I don't expect unruly children, okay? As I said earlier, I think Mike Pence was in a really tough spot, and this was not true when the, when the curtain went down on the I cannot use on radio of the expression which um, um, which Dana Bash used on on CNN and my son used uh, in a text at the end of that, um, but you know the circumstances are so different in with the president's diagnosis um, and the sobering reality that we have no idea uh, where he will be a week from now in terms of the course of this illness, um, that uh, Mike Pence is in a tough spot. For example, um, you know, a couple of points of, of things, and then let's talk for a minute about the national security piece. But just in today's column, Rick Wilson, who I'm sure you're, you know of, a longtime, very effective Republican strategist, the guy who made 
uh, Rudy Giuliani, mayor of New York, for example, uh, who is now one of the leaders of what's called the Lincoln Project, made the point that um, the combination of Trump and his sycophants have at this point uh, killed more Americans than anyone except Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis. Wow. That, you know. That's rough. And, That's rough. So, and so Susan Page, Susan Page is, is uh, historically no novice. Um, she is, and, and again, she's a mom and she's a grandma and, and grandmother and, and she has empathy and she's going to approach this. Uh, first, she won't put up with the stuff. And secondly, um, she is going to approach this from the position of, of the American people rather than uh, Chris Wallace, who, who himself had to navigate a narrow path between, you know, an, a, a um, impartial set of questions and a um, relationship with Fox News. Yeah, and, and it was difficult at moments during the course of that. I, I wasn't sure if there were aspects of... Chris Wallace coming across as combative because somehow he thought it would be a way to counter uh, the president's interruptions over the course of the debate or whether he was somehow trying to prove that he he was not in anybody's pocket. It, It was very difficult at times to really ascertain exactly what position he was taking since it seemed to run the gambit. And at moments, and even the president said this, I feel like I'm debating not one but two of you. Uh, that said, no. I think we're going to see a lot less of that, hopefully, uh, tonight, and, and certainly uh, none of that from Susan Page. It is Susan an opportunity Page. for Mike Pence, as I mentioned earlier, a very experienced communicator, to kind of reset the agenda, so to speak. And and as much as I think we both agree that there's going to be a strong attempt uh, by by Harris to focus on things like COVID, there are some very important, critical, substantive issues that hopefully will be discussed in no particular order. Uh, the economy, most certainly racial inequality, health care, immigration, and the Supreme Court. Any thoughts, comments on any of those topics, Joyce, in terms of how they might be approached by either of these candidates this evening? Well, let me get one point in that where we left off at commercial break about the national security risk. Um, uh, General McMaster, who just out with a new book, was on the McCain Institute uh, broadcast this morning, and, and he pointed out that the real risk of North Korea trying to, you know, make themselves relevant is not between now and the election, but between the election and the inauguration. Um, you know, that we might expect, regardless of who wins, a, a provocation, in, you know, in November, December, um, just so that uh, Kim can remind us he's relevant. So that will probably be a topic tonight, especially in light of, my God, what happens if one of the uh, Joint Chiefs really has a serious episode of COVID, and that would further destabilize things. But um, on the Supreme Court, um, I'm not in favor of a rush to judgment, and 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 let me tell you why. There are two reasons. The first being 
um, I think they, the the haste with which they proceeded was uh, unbecoming um, the nation in view of Ginsburg's long service and important record. Um, and and the other thing is, I think this puts Mrs. Barrett in a very awkward situation. Um, you know, and and third, I have to speak for women who worked their way up the legislative and judicial chain. Okay, there are several hundred women sitting on the appellate courts including a couple of very conservative but very remarkable justices at the uh, 11th Circuit, which is the Washington, D.C. Circuit, who, you know, who, who will now never get a chance at, at elevation. Um, and so I, from that standpoint, you know, people who have a dozen years or more of, of judicial experience and and a, a judicial record that gives us some indication of how she might rule rather than um, uh, Mrs. Barrett's uh, two years on the appellate court and her uh, previous teaching at at Notre Dame. I'm sure she's an incredibly bright, capable woman, but she's going to go to the court if the polls are right, I mean, we have to make an assumption that the polls are right. Okay, if the polling is correct, she may be, you know, the go to the court um, with a um, with an asterisk about how she got there, and and I think that's not fair to her. So I would like to see, uh, you know, a longer period of discussion. Um, more, you know, from her directly um, before, you know, we all rush to take our, um, in other words, I would be have, I would be very relieved to see her go to the court with some Democratic vote for the sake of the nation. Well, and the other potential issue here that is kind of the, the, the elephant in the room, and that is um, if, if indeed this is not a decisive outcome on the third, but rather a close race, and we've been down this road once before uh, for all of us that are old enough to remember the, the Gore-Bush uh, Florida hanging Chad <laughs> scenario where uh, oh, I, I've told people that was the one time in my life of covering elections for uh, 20-something years at that point that uh, finally at about a quarter to four in the morning, I looked at my co-host and said, I think we're done here <laughs> because there was clearly uh, not any outcome. And as we know, uh, we had to wait upon intervention by the high court uh, for several days before there was any a finality to that election. Well, uh, if you think that was a contested election from a, a, a court standpoint, uh, if this is a narrow decision come the third, or if it takes a protracted amount of time to count all the votes, be guaranteed that this is going to be very involved. And I think the awkward position that she could potentially be in, and that is that if they go ahead with confirmation, and she is indeed confirmed to the high court, um, come January, court gets back in session, and uh, she could find, or, or even before that, uh, once sworn in, she could find herself having to decide on the outcome of the election for the very gentleman that just 
appointed her to the high court, and you can better believe the Democrats are going to scream conflict of interest. Now, I don't think that there is any legal mechanism from a constitutional standpoint that would compel her to recuse herself, but you know that's exactly what they would insist upon. And so, yeah, there's a lot of layers of complexity here that I think it's going to be very difficult to uh, kind of navigate our way through here. And uh, tonight will help at least give an opportunity for the incumbency, the, the, the current administration, rather, to sort of do a reset, focus on the issues, and uh, we'll see where all this comes. I think it's going to be a substantive conversation tonight. Whether or not it's going to change any minds, sway any opinions, um, we'll have to determine that at a later date. Joyce Cordy, founder and president of Reimagine America. Information available again on the web at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Joyce, can you stay with us for just a couple of more minutes? Sure. All right, we're going to take a quick time out, a little bit late here for traffic. Let's get an update. We'll be back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation here, 553 on the clock. Joyce Cordy with us on your radio tonight. She, of course, is the founder and president of Reimagine America. More information available about her work online at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Dot O-R-G. One of the other issues, undoubtedly, that's going to be um, in the forefront of the conversation tonight, Joyce, and that's going to be the issue of the economy, which, once again, uh-huh. we've seen in just the last 24 to 48 hours, uh, more market volatility. The president gets upset with a lack of movement or a lack of agreement, so he decides we're going to call off any further discussions in relationship to stimulus package. This right on the same day that Fed Chair Jerome Powell said it was absolutely necessary to get more stimulus money into the economy. The markets, as we know, did not receive that news very well. Reversing that position slightly this morning, the president tweeting that we need to have more stimulus money for individual families and households, which helped to encourage the audience a little bit. But no doubt this degree of volatility that we're experiencing right now is going to be critical. And I think one thing that Americans are looking for, and that is, what's the path forward? How much of that do you think is going to uh, be focused upon in tonight's debate? Oh, I think it's part and parcel of the discussion of COVID. Um, you can't fix one without fixing the other. And and so I think it's integral. Um, and, and you know, Susan Page is like me. She's a center-right, um, you know, uh, thinker. Uh, she's going to put as much emphasis as she can on the, um, on the economy and how to get it right. And $1,250 checks, um, you know, the sugar high of that is not what we need. What we need is to be able to sustain small businesses. And I think she will make that pivot. Um, you know, I follow her writing pretty uh, on, on a somewhat regular basis. And and she will make that, I'm sure, make that pivot to um, follow uh, Jerome Powell's thinking that we need, it doesn't matter, spend whatever you have to spend. And if we had another hour, we could we could explain how 
um, if we spend it now, we'll save it tomorrow. And so we're not going to add permanently to the debt by uh, doing stimulus spending now. But we have to be smart about how we do it. And I will be very interested to hear how each of these vice presidential candidates speaking for the ticket talks about how they want to go about, um, you know, uh, integrating a uh, resolution to the COVID issue, which may not come until next summer, um, with uh, the economic instability and the fact that we may lose or have lost already about 100,000 small businesses. We could lose another 100,000 small businesses. And for your listeners who don't know, small business is 80% of the jobs in this country. Stop looking at Facebook and Chase Manhattan as being the um, the job creators. They're not. It's small business. It's your mom-and-pop business. Yeah, sadly, I think we kind of got lulled into that sense of too big to fail uh, during the last economic crisis of the derivative debacle in 2008-2009 and became convinced that major employers like the Amazons, like the Walmarts, uh, needed to be supported no matter what because of the people that would be thrown out of work should they they begin significant closures or even disappear off the map altogether. That said, though, you're right. The real engine that drives the economy of the day-to-day businesses here in America is not the big, massive employers with 500, 5,000 or more employees. It's the mom-and-pop stores. Those are the ones that are real drivers of the economy, and they're the ones that, sadly, you know, we, we hear the argument, too big to fail, but never nobody ever says it's too small to fail. Uh, we just say, oh, well, they'll find something else to do. And sadly, the cumulative total of that, as we're seeing with the unemployment numbers, while that's improving, nevertheless can have a significant long-lasting impact. And the the sort of, um, shall we say, domino effect of all of this, small businesses start to disappear. They don't get replaced. Not only do you see people now uh, unemployed for a long period of time, but then what becomes of the businesses that do with business with them and support them through goods, products, and services? And the the one thing that, that certainly has investors concerned, and that is what's going to happen to the entire commercial real estate sector here uh, when you see malls and strip malls and big shopping centers all struggling to stay afloat between the impact of COVID-19 and the amortization of the economy? Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is, uh, it is going to be... Um, a that's what Jerome Powell is afraid of, because what you're seeing is in the decline, you're seeing increasing and stable first-time unemployment claims additive, okay? Those are jobs lost. When you see a reduction in the unemployment rate in this situation, Craig, you're seeing people drop out of the labor market. And, yeah. and that and that is, and that's where Jerome Powell is is concerned because he is he has exactly the concern you just focused on, which is if you lose these small businesses, you know this will take years to get back. So the the purpose of the PPE program was to keep those small businesses um, in place, one to protect their employees, but two to make sure that they could come back. And if we gotta support them 
through the next nine months so that they can come back uh, with their employees intact and because their employees are still getting a paycheck, they're still paying payroll taxes, they're still, you know, paying some taxes, they can still buy groceries, et cetera. That money is, is circulating rapidly in the economy. We're actually, it's self-funding in effect, where if we don't do it, we're going to be in a whole similar to the 1930s, and I do not, I know you don't either, want to get out of it the way we did in 1941. Well, exactly right, because, you know, ultimately it took the war to pull us out in spite of all of the heroics that were put in by the um, by the Roosevelt administration. And, you know, as you aptly point out, short-term closure, while painful, uh, is at least sustainable in terms of, okay, the sun will come out again, we'll get this behind us. When the short-term closure becomes permanent closure, now recovery from that becomes significantly more challenging and becomes a really tall mountain to climb. And we're kind of at that pivot point now, six months, where the the coming months heading into the new year are really going to be critical. Joyce Cordy with a look at tonight's vice presidential debate. Again, we will carry that debate live, I'm sorry, uninterrupted and commercial-free in its entirety tonight at 7 o'clock on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. Our thanks to Joyce Cordy, founder and president of reimagineamerica.org. Lots of resources, including her podcast, available again on the web at reimagineamerica.org. 6 o'clock from KFAX, a look at traffic.